You're listening to the Bridges Nashville podcast. Bridges is a house church movement meeting in homes all across Music City. To find a house church near you or to find other ways to support or get involved, go to BridgesNashville.com. You know, the story of Joseph is one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. This is when the youngest son of Jacob becomes a slave and he deals with 13 years of imprisonment. And finally, he finds himself second in command of all of Egypt. And if you know the story, kind of starts with this young, arrogant, young man. He's got his father's apple's eye. He's got the coat of many colors. And he has a dream. He has a couple dreams, in fact. And he tells his family these dreams in which they are bowing down to him. And of course, if you've ever spent some time with older brothers, they don't take it very well. In fact, they come up with this plan to kill their younger brother, Joseph. Well, cooler heads, fortunately, they prevail. And one of the brothers convinces the rest, hey, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. Yeah, I'm not sure that's too much better than that. But that's how the story unfolds. And so young Joseph goes from the best place in the world to the worst place that he can imagine. And he finds himself as a slave in Potiphar's house. And yet even as a slave, we see the integrity that Joseph lives with, and he gets promoted to in charge of Potiphar's entire household. Even in slavery, Joseph knew that his witness for God would be seen through it all. Now listen to me. Slavery in the Bible is never endorsed, and the Bible clearly condemns oppressive systems and racism, and through the very life of Jesus Christ, we see that the institution of slavery has absolutely zero grounds to stand on. I mean, how could it when Jesus tells us that the world will know that you're my disciples by how you love one another? And Galatians 3.28 actually says that there is neither Greek nor Jew, slave nor free, male nor female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul also wrote that it was for freedom that Christ came to set us free. Fulfilling Isaiah 61, the prophecy that said the captives would be freed and the prisoners would be released from darkness. Bottom line, slavery is a sin and has never been endorsed by God and is never approved of in the Bible. However, throughout the Bible, we do see that slavery is addressed in the reality of a cultural context of the day and age from Genesis into the New Testament. It was simply a part of the fabric of ancient civilization, not only represented in the Bible, but in many books of historical significance. And today, as we continue our series, The Good Fight, a journey through 1 Timothy, uh, we come to a verse that is hard to unpack when we only look at it through a 21st century lens. One note of distinction before we read our passage for today is that in the first century, slavery wasn't necessarily based upon race like it was in the American South during the Civil War era. The horrors and evils that were bestowed on our African brothers and sisters during this dark period of US history shows the absolute awful depths of hatred and sin that slavery can wield. And it is 100% antithetical to the gospel of Jesus. But in ancient Rome, people were taken as slaves for a myriad of reasons. It could have been due to warfare, piracy, highway robbery. Uh, You know, there was infant exposure. Infants were left often outside of city gates and people would come and grab them and put them into slavery. Slavery was even seen as a punishment for certain criminals. And Paul was addressing the early church that Timothy pastored in Ephesus. And this was a church that's in modern day Turkey. And there would have been slaves in attendance right alongside 
slave owners. And we know this because in many of the books in the New Testament that Paul writes, he addresses slaves and masters. In fact, in Ephesians 6, here's what he writes. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. You see, right here, we see that in the gospel, there's no room to mistreat your fellow human. We have to see each other as image bearers of the one true God. We're all sons and daughters of the loving and living God. So with all of that as our context and backdrop, let's jump in to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. It says this, All slaves should show full respect for their masters so they will not bring shame on the name of God and His teaching. If the masters are believers, that is no excuse for being disrespectful. Those slaves should work all the harder because their efforts are helping other believers who are well-loved. Teach these things, Timothy, and encourage everyone to obey them. Now, you'll remember earlier in this series, we talked about women and how the gospel elevated women to a new status. So likewise, it brought slaves in that era to a new level. See, Christianity brought with it a new world, a new way of thinking that was based upon the life and lessons of Jesus. And within the Christian community, there was neither slave nor free. But while slaves were seen as equals within the church, it wasn't that way in the Roman economy. Now, there were those who would have preferred for Paul to simply call for an overthrow of the entire system, but he didn't. We're not quite sure why, and it's something that might be explained in the viewpoints of that era. We've got to remember that at this time, Christians were under heavy persecution, and scholars have said that the approach of a social gospel would have actually led to violent argument, uh, bloodshed, and it wouldn't have succeeded. In fact, persecution on the church would have been intensified, and the slaves of that era would have had no benefit. Listen to this. Paul knew something. He knew that social redemption and renewal comes after personal conversion. Whew, that's good. Can I say that again? Social redemption and renewal will always follow personal conversion. Paul was preaching to the one. He was going after the heart. See, his greatest concern was for the glory of God to be displayed, not to perpetuate the institution of slavery. You can clearly see by his other letters that Paul himself is not an advocate of slavery. In fact, one of his most endearing letters in the New Testament is Philemon. Now, this is one chapter. It's a letter. Actually, it's a plea written to a slave owner to take back his runaway slave, Onesimus, who had actually been helping Paul while he was in prison. And Paul writes this letter and he actually starts off, I love this, by referring to himself as a prisoner of Christ. Interesting word choice. He's actually identifying himself with a slave. And then you can see his love and his concern for Onesimus in verses 15 to 18. Here's what it says. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Verse 18 says, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. See, Paul tells Philemon to not only uh, treat Onesimus as you know, a slave, but to treat him better than a slave, as a dear brother in Christ. So yes, we're not 100% sure why Paul doesn't just come straight out and defame slavery. He speaks to both sides of the issue, and he tells everyone, look, let's love each other like Jesus loved us. 
Now, it's also worth noting that there were those who wanted the Messiah to be a certain type of king who would lead a revolutionary revolt against Roman oppression, almost like a militant leader. But Jesus clearly wasn't that type of king. So what did Jesus do? Well, Jesus gave us a different way to live, not only as citizens here on earth, but as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And that's the similar heart that Paul is writing 1 Timothy from. See, Paul recognizes that we live in a fallen and broken world that includes fallen and broken systems, but we are not of this world. And Paul writes that there's a better way to live. And in that way of living, we will be a demonstration to an unbelieving world that they might see the glory of God through the church. Now, does this mean that we're never to take a stand against injustices that we see or to passively stand by while we know people are being mistreated? Absolutely not. No, God calls for boldness to stand up against the evils of oppression and injustices in culture. People who will uphold a standard of righteousness. That's why in the Bible, God raises up Esther's and Nehemiah's and Daniel's to change their very culture. In history, he calls for people to take a stand against slavery like Abraham Lincoln and William Wilberforce and for brave action to inspire change through the stories of people like Martin Luther King Jr. and Rosa Parks. As I said earlier during this series, the good fight is not just your battle, but the one that you fight on behalf of others. Now, 1 Timothy is, honestly, it's one of those letters that has just this continuous thread of a theme, and that theme is to treat each other with utmost dignity and respect, to honor and love one another, living out the gospel for the glory of God. Now, today's passage, as we've been walking through 1 Timothy verse by verse, Listen, today's passage, these two verses, not the easiest to preach on. But I think it's important that when you're reading through the Bible, don't just skip over the parts that make you uncomfortable. Don't just glance over the parts that you may not fully comprehend, and especially the parts that you may not fully even agree with. The Bible is a book to be wrestled with and prayed through. If all of Scripture truly is God-breathed as we believe it is, well, then there's always going to be a takeaway. Now, the message today may seem a little bit more like a history lesson of some sorts, but there is an application, I promise. A couple of points that we can take from these two verses and apply to our lives as Christ followers in 2022. Perhaps the closest relational connection that we could parallel here is that of an employer and employee. And here's what I would say. If you have a boss or an employer that is hard to work under, Maybe EGR, extra grace required. Uh, Maybe you feel mistreated, overlooked, and even frustrated. I think Paul would tell you, work as unto the Lord. Why do I think that? Well, Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. You know, ultimately, As believers, we answer to God, and everything we do is a reflection of our relationship with Him. It's interesting, the Hebrew word for worship is avodah, and it translates into our daily work. So whatever you work on, whatever you put your hands to, can actually be an offering of worship when you do it as unto the Lord. As long as it's not immoral or illegal, right? Uh, Your daily work isn't just seen by your earthly employer, but by your heavenly Father. So do everything with a spirit of excellence as it's done unto God. Now, 1 Timothy 6.1 specifically addresses masters or, for our context, employers who aren't believers. 
You know, you may be the only Christian witness that your boss ever sees. So let your work reflect the gospel. And in your workplace, conduct yourself with utmost respect and love for your fellow co-workers. This is how you can be a witness for the kingdom. You know, Paul actually says to do this, to not bring shame to the name of God. That's a powerful challenge right there. And in verse two, now we can apply this to a situation where maybe you have a boss who is a believer. Don't take advantage of that relationship. You know, it doesn't honor Christ when you do a job halfway simply because you share the same values as your boss. Now, here's the deal. Because you share those same values, you should actually go the extra mile is what Paul is saying because it helps out a fellow Christ follower. And lastly, maybe you're the employer in this equation. And I would say this, uh, treat your employees as those entrusted to your care from God. Lead by example and lead with love. Remember that golden rule that we talked about a couple weeks ago in Matthew 7, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And in all of these circumstances, remember that our ultimate master is God and we do everything for his glory and in his name. And when you operate with this understanding as your driving force, that simply calls you to a higher standard, working as unto the Lord, treating others with love and honor and turning your work into an act of worship. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the Bridges Nashville podcast. To stay up to date on everything going on at Bridges, you can find us online at facebook.com slash Bridges Nashville or at Bridges Nashville on Instagram.